and it's time for the weekly Q&A that we call Splunk Talk. Episode number 65, recorded Friday, December 16th, 2011. Don't overfeed the animal. Oh, this is a fun episode, because we have a little issue to deal with. What can happen when you accidentally tell Splunk to eat your entire hard drive? What are you thinking? We'll figure it out. Splunk Talk. Good day, Maverick. How are you? Good day. Good day. How's good it day. going? Usually we say, and we're back, or okay. Okay. Right, well, okay, oh, right now. And we're back. Yeah, we're okay. back. Uh, it's another episode of Splunk Talk. And we are chatting today, Maverick and I. Maverick is in Dallas, right? I, I, I last time I checked. Check again, just real quick. Can you just All right, check? Me, yeah, I'm looking around. Can I you think. Geo, it like, can you pipe it to Geo IP? I'm gonna pipe. Yeah, I'm gonna pipe it to extract location from Geo IP or something oh, like that. that. Wow, that was a joke. That was a. <laughs> <joke>. <laughs> where, where 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 would I pipe to to get to you right now? Uh, you would. Pipe it to Austin is what you do. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's not quite clear, those are jokes. <laughs> those are geek. Those are technical. Those are geek jokes. jokes. Those are geek <laughs> jokes. Supposed right to there. laugh right there. <laughs> you know, at least as long as I'm having fun, then it's all good, right? Yeah, that's I. I suppose. I suppose that's. My true. name is Michael Wild, and I'm Splunk Ninja, and we have my good friend uh, Maverick Garner, and we are Splunkers. And we're going to chat a little bit about Splunk Talk today. You know, usually if you're a new if you're a new listener, do you ever listen to Splunk Talk, Maverick? Um, even after we record them, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. But usually, he's all no. It's like it's like I don't have to. I lived it. Oh, you know, <laughs> Peter awesome. Herman's voice, right? <laughs> I lived it. I lived it. Right. I lived it. Um, uh, but yeah, sometimes I do. I do listen. Well, I listen to every episode because I edit it. Um, yeah, that's true. Like that. See that little. Yeah, I usually try to edit those out, but I'm not, I'm leaving it in just so that the listener knows that we are uh, humans and not auto-generated robots that never make mistakes. But I listen to the episodes from time to time. Sometimes, you know, I'll go back and listen to a previous episode if it's something that I ended up like forgetting or whatever, because I actually learn a lot from these episodes, even talking to Maverick or sometimes the questions we answer. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, go back and check out some of the previous episodes because there's a lot of good content as we were, you know, sort of doing the podcast. But um, usually we do a Q&A where, you know, listeners send stuff in or during the week we find things. But I have some I don't think we're going to do Q&A today, but I do have a couple of interesting things to talk about. You got anything interesting, Maverick? Oh, other, of course. I other mean, than like, just like. Air. Kind of like yeah, what you want to do is what you're want you're wanting to expand this into more of the what we learned this week, but yes. maybe a little more in depth is what Yeah, what we learned this week. You know, here's here's something that's interesting. So I was working with someone this week and they um sent me a message saying Splunk D. Splunk D, what's Splunk what's Splunk D? That's the demon that runs that collects and indexes and allows you to search the data. Boom. Boom. Yeah, Splunk, well, the Splunk, the software is two parts. There's Splunk <laughs> Web. If you're a Windows person, you will actually see two services called Splunk Web and Splunk D. And I believe they also have descriptions on what they are. But um, Splunk Web does the, all the 
pretty stuff, and Splunk D does all the ugly workhorse stuff. And this guy's just like, Splunk D's crashing. Starts it up, it's crashing. And I'm like, oh, no. Because it doesn't happen that often when that Splunk crashes. I was going to say, that that's not a normal... No, I mean, you know, we've been at this for five, six years now, building software, and these sure things crash, but... Yeah, it, but most of, it's pretty reliable, though. I mean, that's one of the attributes, I think, that people really like about it. Is it's reliable. really reliable. If I it's mean, crashing, it's yeah. something kind of particular that's usually a user configuration or some other kind of environment thing or something. Or, you know, it actually could be a a reasonable thing that we need to fix or a bug. You know, it's like we, sure. we get better with your feedback. And, you know, so he he's sending me, he sent me a couple of Windows events from his Windows event log, just a regular old event log, because Splunk wasn't working. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I looked at it, and there's something about out of memory or whatever. And and I I said, you know, go go send me your logs. Now, here's a general sort of troubleshooting thing. Obviously, this part's not going to work if you can't get Splunk working. But um, there's an app called SOS. Just go to SplunkBase.com and search for it. Just search for S. Dot o dot s. It's called Splunk on Splunk. Isn't that what it's called? That's right. Splunk on Splunk. Splunk on Splunk is actually a really cool app because it's an app dedicated to like checking out how well your Splunk is working or like, like monitoring and health type stuff. Yeah, I mean it's Splunk. not really doing active monitoring, but um, you know, if you contact think about this, like if you contact support uh and they ask you for information about your Splunk server. They're going to ask you to, usually they'll ask you to run a command called Splunk space Diag. And uh, what does Splunk Diag do? You mean, yeah, the command line. Yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grab up all of, the, um, all of the log files that Splunk's created, been capturing the history of things that are happening, um, and, it, and config files and things under cool. Etsy apps, all that kind of stuff. It puts it all into a big, like a zip file. And I think it's in that same directory or the parent directory. And then you can just send, upload that back to your case and then they can bring that in. And then they Splunk that into right. this Splunk on Splunk. Yeah. So, I mean, like we've been doing this for a while and, you know, first I'm sure people started opening up just as a natural sysadmin, they started opening up the gzip files, you know, back at Splunk HQ and, then somebody went, wait a minute, we can just eat that. Right. So, it, you know. It's text-based. We yeah, can totally just Splunk that duh, and get that into Splunk. Let's just eat the whole thing, right? <laughs> right. So right. they started doing that. So our support team a couple of years ago, three, four years ago, started just eating your Diag. I mean, we had to. I think we had to develop the Diag process first before we'd ask you for your logs. Yeah. So um, they... Uh, Earlier, I think sometime last year, they started thinking like, well, no, wait a minute. We're doing a bunch of searches to look through your own logs if you have issues with Splunk. Right. Um, well, well, we're doing this all the time. Let's make an app. So they built this really awesome app for themselves, right, to just use Splunk to help diagnose issues that you might have in your Splunk server, make it easier and faster. Because what are we doing? We're looking through log files and configuration files, text stuff, and it's just a lot of data. I mean, it's not massive volumes of data, but it's just little pieces everywhere. Yeah, a good a good example. I think that becomes very apparent to people that kind of use it the first time. If you're know, not in support, like if you're a customer or something downloading it, I think is whenever they want to try to figure out like where the input is went. You know, like sometimes they can't find where their input went in the config, and they need to change or they want to do a tweak or something. So they'll use the Splunk on Splunk to kind of find. Mm -hmm. 
all the plate because you know it might be in several places and they'll find the one that where their input actually landed which is in the basically the context of where you're at but they may not know that but they'll use Splunk on Splunk and figure that out very quickly and it's pretty it's pretty awesome I mean that's just one use of it but it's a pretty awesome uh, tool to be able to just yeah. Splunk on itself like that. Yeah, I mean, I recommend everybody download Splunk on Splunk because it doesn't run a bunch of searches in the background. It's not right. going to monitor and tell you when stuff is broke. It's not taxing your resources or no, anything. No, it's one yeah. of those things that it's good to have on your system to look at and use because, you know, Maverick and I got a couple of demo servers we have up in the cloud. And, yeah, yeah. they work. We were having some problems for whatever reason for a while, but... And obviously we're looking at the logs, but I, I, and we got our problems resolved, but I, uh, installed Splunk on Splunk and, you know, it, it eats Splunk's own logs. And I, you know, there's a, a section where you can click on popular errors. And I noticed the Unix app is giving a whole bunch of errors just because we had a, one of the data inputs installed that we didn't need. It was just like, it didn't have the corresponding software to run. I think it was interfaces or something like that. And oh, it was just really? like all these errors were coming in. You know, it helped me go in and disable something because I didn't really need to use that part. And just like generally seeing errors in software, whatever reason they are, sometimes a lot of times errors are good as to get rid of them. So having Splunk on Splunk is a That's really cool. great tool to just have in your Splunk because how do you know if it's not working right? How do you know right. if it's not performing right? And sometimes if it's working, is it working to the best of its ability? Right. You know, it's a good idea. So. I recommend people check out Splunk on Splunk, which was completely ineffective in this particular case. Why? Because Splunk is a, Splunk on Splunk is an app, and Splunk was crashing. So, if you get something like that, you obviously want to run a diag or even look at the Splunk D dot log, which is down under your Splunk home directory slash var slash log slash Splunk. Well, Splunk D's got everything that's going on in Splunk, pretty much as far as the operations of it, right? The right, hardcore right. things it's doing when there's an error or or when a job runs or, or things like that. And so this guy's uh, Splunk was crashing. I'm looking through, I'm cruising through, looking through the logs, I'm just doing old-fashioned debugging. And and I see, I see these allocation errors, okay? Like allocation. tons and tons and tons of them. Allocation, like, all right, okay. like allocation, usually memory-related. Okay, yep. so it's getting Windows is saying basically saying, "Hey, whoa, can't allocate any more memory." And you know, <laughs> most apps when most apps when you run out of memory, things don't it could, things it don't could go be, well. It could be disk too, but did it say memory? Or well, say there's just other interesting things too. So I start looking through, and I see all sorts of um, errors from the file monitor. Okay, and mm -hmm. when you eat a binary file in Splunk. Uh, you don't get an error on the screen. It doesn't stop Splunk from working. But it puts a little error that basically says, ignoring this file because we think it's binary. Like, right. for example, a JPEG file. Like it still tries to scroll, crawl down in there and try to find right. something, but if it's binary, boom, it's, it just says something keeps going, is what basically what you're saying. Yeah, and you know, I'm noticing it's like C colon backslash windows ringtone.wave. C colon backslash IN Windows slash INF. So I'm I'm going through this thing. I'm like, like this like person tried to eat his entire hard drive. Um the, the whole thing, like from right, the root like like perhaps from C, to C drive. And down. in talking to him, I don't think he was aware. Like I think he was setting up Splunk and figured sure. I'll just put the C drive in and it'll go find my logs. Which um 
not uncommon to me. Yeah, to try it's that. not. It's it's one of those things. It's like very few people ever do that. Is it wrong to do that? Well, I'll tell you, it's wrong to do that in the current version of Splunk because if you tell it to monitor your whole C drive, it's got to do a lot of things, right? It's got to build a B tree of your entire file system, and then it's got to check some everything. It's got to do a lot of work that it is unnecessary. And I talked to Amrit, and I gave him some info and said, you know, maybe we want to put a warning in there if you happen to eat your entire hard drive. But he tried to eat his hard drive unintentionally, and uh, Splunk ended up crashing. It ended up running out of memory and um, having some trouble. And the log was really effective because right away I could see that there's probably no reason why he really wanted to monitor the wave files that are inside of Windows's directory. But mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it was just quite interesting because, you know, on one hand, I was thinking, like, what are you doing? But on the other hand, it's like, well, yeah, I guess it's kind of reasonable because sometimes people don't where know where their logs are. And he just went and said, eat it. And well, uh, well know, I think, yeah, I think it's, I think not it's a best more, practice. Right? Yeah. Well, I think it, well, actually it's probably, well, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think for the most part, you're correct. I think that it's not unreasonable that somebody may want to use Splunk to discover what's in their drives. Like, like sometimes that's what the use case is to say, I don't have to know where things are. I want mm -hmm. Splunk to tell me, I want to see what's there that's readable. It's just maybe he had too many binary things or maybe it just caught in this particular case, it was more of an exception case that uh, he had too many things that Splunk probably actually it's, I think it's cool that it can actually handle that and actually go well, through and kind of skip over that. That's pretty it. awesome. Huh? Yeah, Technically it didn't really handle it because he ended up running out of memory and running out of some disk space and it ended up crashing. But we have, you know, Nerdy, nerdy side note. Um, there is a command in Splunk called pipe. You pipe it to crawl. Okay. Yeah. Most people don't know about this because I don't know. It's something that we built and really don't use that often. If you pipe to crawl, you can have Splunk crawl a directory and, and tell you files that it likely might index and give you some previews of them, which might have been a better approach, right? Yeah, well, right. Well, that's true. Before you actually commit to putting in an input where you say, go down and get all this stuff. So you're, you're right. Preview probably is, I mean, um, crawl is probably better at figuring out what you have, but, um, and discovering, like I'm saying, uh, using it for that. But um, yeah, you, you're, you're right. I mean, and, usually, and I, yeah. like, if you're using a web crawler, you just crawl, let's say Google, you tell it to crawl splunk.com. You should just report. What right. It's and, using. you know, it's, I, you know, in one hand, most people, if I said, well, okay, you can crawl the entire system and find log files, most people would go, oh, that sounds cool. And then if I said, by the way, you know, the Windows subdirectory has 0.01% of all your log files. So when we're crawling, we're going to have to look at every single file. They'd go, uh, yeah, it's probably a little bit too much work. Like recently I was making a copy of a website and because uh, I was going to index it, not with Splunk, yeah. with a document search engine. So I quickly made a copy of it so I could, you know, um, then index the local files so I didn't have to keep hitting this web server. And... You know, as I'm making a copy, I'm watching this copying engine copy JPEGs and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, cancel, right? So I start filtering out all the things I didn't want the engine to go after and make copies right. for. Right. So it was interesting. And then, you know, when I told him about what this, back to this issue of Splunk crashing, I told him about this. I'm like, you know, it 
it appears that you maybe ate your hard drive. Was there a reason why you're doing that? And he's like, ah, nah. I think I just messed something up in the config. I'm uninstalling and reinstalling, and he's all good. Now he's got some really good questions for me. So, so that sounds more like an accident. Like yeah, was it was kind of an accident, but it was sort of interesting. You know, Amrit, who develops the file monitor, was like, well, we shouldn't be crashing. So I'm giving yeah. him some info there. Like, we, we should... You know, we should do a little bit, I guess maybe I'm interpreting as maybe there are some things that we could do to help Splunk stop itself, right, uh, if you're a bit too aggressive. So uh, just I think, yeah, and, that, and that's a part of our job, too, I think, is trying to collect some of those things that, that we need to filter back and kind of feed back to the engineers like Amrit and, and the gang on, and back in, in San Francisco to, to maybe, you know, imp keep improving the product. So, you know, I would think that if anybody's listening that has mm -hmm. anything like that, like, because I was at that user group here in Dallas a couple weeks ago and the guy from Metro PCS named Greg, he was like going, um, you know, uh, sharing a bunch of different things to the group. And then I'm like, well, why have you told anybody about this? He goes, no, I just figured out and I keep going. I'm like, you, you need to tell us, you need to like, let us <laughs> right. know, you know? And so I, fin I sent in an enhancement request for him on the one thing that he had that was, you know, is, is a very unique kind of a, I forget what it was. It was, um, being able to go one set the depth at which it crawls or which it which it indexes, so you could actually say put it at the parent directory C, oh, that's C drive, right. and then say depth awesome. equals one. Yeah, depth equals one, and then have it only go one one level. Now, supposedly Gerald in our PS group, when he went out there originally, figured out a way a workaround, some solution that's very convoluted and a bunch of other scripts and stuff to do. Which again, kind of cool about Splunk, you can always work around and get it to work some way, which is neat. But it was interesting that that uh, that he was saying that. I'm like, well, I'm going to totally send that in because that sounds like that could be very, very useful. And I'm wondering in this case if it was something that he was doing uh, even accidentally. If we had a default, like you can't go more than two, three levels, it might have saved it, might have saved it or something. You yeah, know? that's smart because like web, like when I was doing this web crawling, most web crawlers give they give you some options like how many links deep do you want to go, right? Do you yeah. want to end up capturing the whole web or you just want to stick on this website or just want to go down a certain directory, so. Yeah, and some directories people know, kind of know what the structure is. So they kind of know what depth, and I know, no more than three, because after that it's a bunch of other stuff, but at least that, that, to that level three might be what they want. So I could see that being, a, and I'm hopefully we're going to get, get that champion through and in a future release that'll be totally cool to have that option. And then we'll do a Splunk talk about that option when it comes out or whatever. <laughs> so um, I had, the only thing I have to add today or talk about today myself, um, just, um, that I felt was interesting was uh, that I learned and that was cool was um, had a customer sending a bunch of stuff in from forwarders on Windows, uh, Universal Forwarders or whatever, to their indexer, which was on Linux, and they were not getting the fully qualified uh, domain name to mm. FQDN. I think I talked a little bit about last last podcast right. last week or whatever about the, learning about this and this fix and the latest version, but. Um, uh, he put the fully qualified host in the in the um, system local system local inputs .com file right. as the def at the default at the top under sure. default. But then when he did the commands at the universal forwarder, you know he does everything with the command line. So the command line creates this MSI created directory app. I think now is what I and I wasn't sure. I guess I MSI created well. MSI. It does. It, there's a couple of directories that get created, but yeah, yeah. So the MSI created was the one under Etsy, uh, Splunk Home Etsy slash apps directory, MSI created. It had the inputs in there, and that's where all his inputs for his windows were. 
And that's really where he needed to put the host equals and the fully qualified name because if you don't, then right now in the current version, and this, and I talked to John Cervelli or got an email from him. This may change actually in the future, possibly in the new, later version or something. But right now, it uses the computer name, I guess, from the from whatever the event is when the Windows events come in. Mm-hmm. So, so if the computer name is not fully qualified, then it actually that's what it becomes is that name. So even though he set it as default, it was being overridden by the Windows version. So by putting in host equals, like physically in that inputs.conf under MSI created, where those Windows inputs happen to be, because you know he did it at the command line, it ended up being fixing it basically. And right. so and then I showed him this really cool search where I said, look for anything where the host equals star dot com, because all of them had dot com at the end. And he goes, Why why do you want me to do that? I'm like, well so that way you can filter out the the non fully qualified ones, see which ones you have. And then as you make these changes to your inputs and test them, you can make sure you get all of them fully qualified at some point. So that it's basically like a negative search to only find the ones that are going to be the fully qualified ones. And he's like Oh, that'd be great because I'm going to make a PowerShell that's going to update all this stuff, and then you know all these forwarders all at once, and then I should see the report expand out into you know distinctly all of the different hosts. So it was you know with the fully qualified mm-hmm. names, and that way I said that way you know you won't miss one. And he's like, exactly. So it was kind of neat to to kind of walk through that. I kind of knew, I suspected, I knew I was wrong, but you know it, it was just a misunderstanding on his part that you know by putting it in the system local inputs directory doesn't and does the default doesn't mean at the global level doesn't mean it's going to just override everything it gets overridden by the local ones like the like the ones in msi created did yeah it's like it's his fault but it's not or it's it's it, not it's really his, his fault, fault but it's not his fault i mean yeah it's yeah. like most of the time and and i i made you know i often apologize for software because i think it was like okay we try to anticipate everything but if we created software that you're using and you make a mistake or make an error, um, I kind of think mostly it's our fault because we wrote code that allowed you to make that happen. Now, obviously we improve over time and you know, sometimes people do stupid things, but um, in this case, it's like, if, if we look at someone's behavior and go, is this reasonable? They would do this. If the answer is yes. Well, can we, you know, can we make the product malleable enough to where it accommodates that? And, you know, it's just a, a growing evolution over time. Yeah, and, yeah, and coding, we call it exception catching, right? Correct. If, if this could be an exception, we're going to yeah, try, exception, try, right. try yeah, and catch. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, One more thing. Uh, this is my, and I was talking to Maverick about this earlier. My, what I learned this week or what, I've, what am I liking lately? Um, I was talking about this Voxer app. And Voxer is an Android oh, yeah. and smartphone app that is... You know, remember back when they used to have Next telephones? Remember that, Maverick? Yeah. And they had Push to Talk, which is sort of like a walkie-talkie, and no matter where the person was, you could just go, like, construction guys used to use it all the time in the commercials, like, beep, beep, hey, can somebody bring me a ruler, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's been said once, right? But Voxer (laughs) is really cool because it uses, it doesn't use your mobile phone, it doesn't use your minutes for this, but you can friend people, obviously, and it's kind of this voice chat thing. You can obviously send words or text and pictures, but it's kind of cool because you can you end up having this thread of an entire conversation in these little voice player things. You got to check it out. But I was thinking, I'm like, well, if you're using Voxer and you have a question, 
just friend me. Email michaelwild at gmail.com or ninja at splunk.com or one. It's probably not that difficult to find me, but it, it lets you just asynchronously ask a question. Like we woke up one of the developers this morning. I was testing out Voxer and he's like, uh, I drove to LA four or five hours. <laughs> I'm sleeping. And then I'm sure, I'm sure he yeah. wants you to say that right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could probably play, maybe I'll edit it in there. Yeah. But, um, totally. Anyways, it's a really cool app and it's like this nice way of doing asynchronous voice communication. And, uh, you know, there's not a re- there's not an expectation of response back right away, right. but it's kind of nice to be able to just throw if you got an idea just throw it in the hopper, send me a box or if you got a question um, if you obviously got a question email splunktalk at splunk.com. that's right but if you're just in your car and you're listening to Splunk Talk and you're like wait a minute I need a little bit more clarity on that wild uh, maybe we'll just create a Splunk Talk group on Voxer and we can you can just ask a question. That's a good way to do it. So that's cool. That's cool. V O X E R. Apparently, they have no plans to develop a BlackBerry app, so can't help you there. I'll have to get an iPhone. But then. Android or 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 smart or iPhone, it's on. It's cool. Um, Want to say happy holidays to everybody? Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and whatever other holidays people celebrate from Splunk Talk. Seasons greetings. Seasons greetings. That's always good too. Seasons. And I seasons. I've been seasoning meat lately. <laughs> but right now, um, the end of maybe. Well, we're not at season two. This is the mid-season break for Splunk Talk. <laughs> Look for a clip a cliffhanger later. And uh, email splunktalk at splunk.com. Have a great week. And what do we say, Maverick? Happy Splunking. One of these times I was wish you would like fart. No, no, not good. Anyways, happy Splunkin' everybody. Take care. Happy Splunkin'. Thanks for listening.